If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 13. Genesis 13. It is Memorial Day weekend, and we want to pause here at the beginning of our time together and remember that the freedoms that we joy and even a lot of freedoms that we've learned here lately that we can so easily take for granted um, are based upon the sacrifices of many that came before us. And, and so we want to remember uh, those in service to our country who paid the ultimate price um, that we could have these freedoms, that we could enjoy these freedoms. And uh, so what we want to do this morning is we want to pray. Um, I'm going to take a knee here at the front. I think there is an appropriateness to demonstrating our humility before the Lord. And so I'm going to do that. Uh, If you're able to there in your home, I'd encourage you to do the same. But we want to pray um, for our military servicemen and women. Uh, We want to pray for those families that have lost loved ones in service to our country. And we want to just pray for our nation. Um, So if you would join me now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, we come before you humbled in your presence, recognizing that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are God. You're sovereign. God, we thank you for this nation. God, we thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. God, we just confess that so many of those freedoms we take for granted. But Lord, we want to pray very specifically for those families that have lost loved ones in service to our country. Those that will gather as a family maybe sometime this weekend and there might be an empty chair or an empty place in the room because that loved one paid that ultimate price, made that sacrifice for our freedoms. And Lord, we want to thank you for those throughout this nation's history that in service to others protected and secured our freedom on the basis of their lives. Lord, I pray for those servicemen and women today who are currently serving you all around this world, putting themselves in harm's way to protect our freedoms, and we pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would watch over them We pray that you'd bring them home soon and you'd bring them home safe. Lord, we pray for our president, the commander-in-chief, who makes decisions as to where these men and women will go. And Lord, we pray that you would guide him, you'd give him direction, you'd sustain him, you'd strengthen him, you'd put men and women of godly wisdom around him. Lord, we pray for our nation in general during a critical season. We pray for the leadership, those that serve in leadership, both here locally and in our state and and nationally, Lord, we lift them up to you. God, as you command us to in your word, and we pray that you would guide them as they make decisions. We pray that we would be faithful in our prayers for them. Lord, I pray that you would use this season to draw your people to yourself. We pray that you'd do a work in this great nation, even over this Memorial Day weekend. 
Lord, I pray you draw us all to yourself. And you'd bring about a great revival that would sweep across this land. Lord, we love you and we're grateful that even in times of trial, you're God who redeems. God, I pray for the study of your word this morning. I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd enliven our hearts and our minds to the principles and truths of this passage, and then we would be faithful to put them into practice. Though we might not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we come to Genesis 13 this morning. You remember Abraham uh, has been called by God. He went out in obedience. And uh, then there was a famine. There was a time of testing. And rather than remain faithful to God, he took matters into his own hands. He sought to manipulate circumstances. He trusted himself rather than God. And he got himself into all kinds of trouble. But then we see the grace of God and the restoration of Abraham as God takes him by the hand and lovingly uh, leads him through repentance and to a place of restoration. And God has been good. God has been gracious to both Abraham and Lot. And we will pick up the story in verse 5. So look there with me, beginning in verse 5. It says, Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. You remember in the previous chapter, chapter 12, they had a poverty problem. Now in chapter 13, they got a plenty problem. In chapter 12, they didn't have enough. In chapter 13, now they have too much. And sometimes we're fooled into thinking that if we just had more stuff and we just had more money, then we wouldn't have any problems. And sometimes more money and more stuff only brings more problems. Just ask, ask Abraham. And so here is Abraham and Lot, and they've accumulated so much stuff that the land can't sustain them both. And out of this arises some conflict. There's strife here. And so the picture you have here is a, a family conflict over the issue of stuff and money. Now surely that would never happen in our day. Surely none of you ever have any conflict in your families related to stuff and money. But here they are. And the issue here is deeper than stuff and money. The issue here is values. And Abraham and Lot, on the basis of their values, are going to respond to this situation in different ways that's going to lead them down different paths and ultimately take them to a different destination. So what I want to do this morning is just look at the response of Abraham, and then we're going to look at the response of Lot. So look with me, verses 8 and 9, to how Abram responds to this strife and conflict. It says, so Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I'll go left. Now, this is an interesting response 
on the part of Abraham because it's the complete opposite of what he did in chapter 13. And it's an incredible reminder of the true mark of a person of faith. That a true person of faith is not necessarily a person who never makes mistakes. We learned last week, for the person of faith who's walking with God, failure is never final. But we see here that the mark of a person of faith is not that they don't fall down. It's not that they don't make mistakes, but that they're learning, they're growing, and God is constantly strengthening their faith. That's what we see happening here with Abraham. God is breaking him down and building him back up into who he desires him to be. And so what we see here is a completely different response. In fact, you almost see every decision, every response, every movement of this narrative is the exact opposite of what we saw him do in chapter 12. In his going down to Egypt, you'll remember, it was all about Abraham. It's all about self. It's all about me. We got to do this, Sarah. You're going to have to lie. I'm going to have to lie in order to protect my life, in order that I might live, in order that it might go well with me. It was all about Abraham. But now what do we see? We see here a total refusal on the part of Abraham to protect his own interests. What you really see here is a total denial of self. See, on the basis of chapter 12, we would assume that Abraham would come to this moment when they've got to part ways and he would look at Lot and say, all of this is mine. All the land is mine. God promised it to me. You're nothing but a mooch. You're going to have to get out of here, go find your own place to live. But that's not at all what happens. He says to Lot, and remember, Lot hasn't been promised any uh, portion of the land. Lot had no right to any of this land. In fact, everything that Lot has is simply a, a result of his association with Abraham. But, but Abraham says to Lot, who had, doesn't have a right to anything, he says to him, you take whatever you want. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. There's a complete self-denial on the part of Abraham. And I think this is so hard for all of us because our natural instinct is to do what? It's to protect our own interests. Our natural instinct is, is to look out for number one, take care of you, get what is yours. But that's certainly not the way to greatness in God's kingdom and certainly that's not the example given to us by Christ who although he exists in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself taking the form of a man and a bondservant. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above everything, every name. You see, in God's kingdom, the way up is down. The way to greatness is through humility and service and self-sacrifice. In God's kingdom, we find life by dying to ourselves. In Christ's kingdom, we follow his example and we commit ourselves completely to God and we let God lift us up in his time and in his way. And that is effectively what Abraham is doing here. He's entrusting all of his life to God. He's, he's entrusting all of his future to God unreservedly. God, it is all yours. You choose. You protect I'm not going to manipulate. 
See, in Egypt, he was choosing for himself. He was manipulating circumstances. He was in control. But in chapter 13, Abraham's going to let God choose. He releases all control, and he lets God lead. See, he's learned the Egyptian lesson that from now on, I'll let God make the choices that matter most in my life. See, there are two ways that a person of faith can live. You're either saying to God, have thine own way. Or you are saying to God, I'm going to have it my way. You are either laying your life down before Christ and you're letting him choose and you're letting him lead or you're saying, I'm going to lead and I'm going to choose for myself. But if you're going to lay down everything before Christ and follow him, you need to think carefully about this. As Jesus said, you need to count the cost. Because Abraham, if you notice here, he is willing to lose everything rather than go back down the Egyptian road. In other words, obedience is more important to him than stuff. That God, you can take everything. I'm willing to lose it all because obedience and faithfulness are more important to me than life itself. There was a huge risk here. Lot is going to choose what? He's going to lift up his eyes. He's going to choose the most fertile ground. Abraham was a smart business guy. We're going to learn this about Abraham. That's the land that he would have chosen. And it appears upon first reading that Abraham loses. It says in verse 12 that Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. I mean, you just picture this. Abraham, well, I guess he got the best. I'm going to go over here on some old plot of ground all the while. Lot, who's done nothing, who's not been promised anything, who has no right to anything. Lot's walking off and taking the best of the land. But what, what do we know? We know Lot doesn't get the last word, does he? That's not the end of the story. See, Abraham, at this point in his life, he's learned, I trust God and it normally works out better. Abraham has learned, my confidence is not in Lot. My confidence is God. My confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in, in God. And Abraham knew that Lot could not rob him of that which God had promised to him. Abraham is learning that he doesn't have to grasp after blessings. He just has to grab hold of God. That he just has to be faithful. And let God choose. And let God protect. And God rewarded Abraham's confidence and faithfulness. In fact, look with me at verses 14 through 18. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I'll give it to you and to your descendants forever. I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I'll give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, uh, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So God says to Abram, don't worry about Lot. I'm going to give it all to you. I mean, take note, he says, all the land. 
You, Abraham, you're not just going to get the leftovers. You're going to get it all. See, here's the principle. God honors those who honor him. Mark it down. Take it to the bank. No one can rob you of that which God has promised to you. Entrust yourself completely to God in faithfulness and let him protect your interests rather than you trying to manipulate and deceive to protect yourself. And here's what we find out. God himself can do an infinitely better job of meeting for our needs and caring for our interests and even fulfilling our wants than we could ever do for ourselves. See, this is what's so sad. So many of you believe that if you entrust your life completely to Christ, if you lay it all down, it's going to impoverish your life. Some of you are filled with the fear it's, it's keeping you from giving everything to Christ because you're afraid if I lay everything down, if I let him protect me, if I let him fulfill my needs, if I let him fulfill my wants, then life's just going to be totally miserable. And it's a lie of Satan. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Can I just ask you this morning, do you really believe that? Do you really believe with all your heart that if you will make God the bedrock foundation of your life, if you will put him first in all of your decisions, do you believe that he will do a better job of taking care of your needs than you could ever do on your own. See, there's few things in life more freeing than living on the principle of faithfulness to God and just letting him choose. That I'm going to be faithful in the everyday, ordinary circumstances of life and in the big decisions, faithfulness to God will always be the, the primary influencer of the decisions I make. And then I let God choose. And I trust that he'll take care of me. Uh, he'll protect me. He'll meet my needs better than I ever could. He knows what I want even more than I myself. You see, here's the deal. We don't even know what we want. As I'd say, as a result of, of our sin nature, our wanter is messed up for a lack of a better term. We don't even know what we really want. And so we lay it all down and just say to God, I'm going to pursue you as the great treasure of my life. And I'm going to trust you to meet my needs in your time and your way. Because I trust you. And I know this world and no individual can rob me of that which you have promised to me. And what is, what is Christ promised to us? He's promised us himself. And there's no greater treasure than knowing Christ. So that is the response of Abraham. I'm going to lay it all down. I'm tired of trying to take control. I'm just going to be faithful. And I'm going to let God do what he's going to do. Well, look at the response of Lot. Verse 10 what does it say there? Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan and that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as far as Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other, and Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Now before we look at what Lot did, let's understand who he is. This is a verse you need to jot down and go look at later. Second uh, Peter 2, 7. 2 Peter 2, 7, you need to know this verse. I'm going to read it to you. It says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. In that verse, on three occasions, it tells us that Lot is a righteous man. Now, on the basis of what I read in Genesis 13, I would have never have concluded that Lot was a righteous man. But God says that Lot is righteous, meaning Lot is saved. He's a believer. And this is important, that the person we're talking about here, Lot, is not just some un unregenerate pagan. No, he's a righteous man. But what else do we know on the basis of Genesis? Well, if you just read the Genesis account, you see no real personal experience with God on the part of Lot. In all the verses that you read with Lot, you, you find a lack of personal dealings. He never builds an altar to God as Abraham did. He never calls upon the name of the Lord as Abram did. You never see him pray. You see an individual who's just living off the wake of Abraham. Everywhere Abram goes, Lot goes with him. And so we find not just a material mooch, he's a spiritual mooch. He's living off of Abraham's faith. It's been said, I thought this was a good way to put it, Abra Abram walked with God and Lot walked with Abraham. He was just living off of Abraham's faith. And listen, there's a lot of people out there today who are living off the faith of other people. They're living off their mama's faith, their daddy's faith, their grandparents' faith, but they've got no personal experience with God. And you ask them about their experience with God, and they'll tell you about their uncle Abraham, who pastored First Baptist Church Haran a long time ago. But they've got no real faith on their own. And if that is you today, can I challenge you and encourage you? Get Christ for yourself. Build a personal altar to God and cry out to him for salvation. And get to know God on your own. Stop living off of somebody else's faith. Because here's the danger. As we find here, as long as Lot is living with Abraham, he does quite well. As long as he's there with Abraham, things are going good. He almost has a protection because he's under Abraham's roof. But eventually, he has to step out from underneath Abraham's roof and he has to make a choice for himself. As I read this, I couldn't help but think of our college students many of whom have been living in the wake of their, spiritual, uh, their parents' spiritual blessings. But now they're stepping out from underneath that parent's roof, and they're going to have to choose for themselves. 
Life is all about choices. And because Lot has no real personal grounding in his faith in God, he's going to make a bad decision on the basis of his passions. He's going to make a a decision, a choice on the basis of what looks good with his eyes. It says he lifted up his eyes. And that poor decision is going to lead him down a very destructive path. Life is all about choices. And your choices will be driven by your values. So your values drive decisions and choices. Decisions and choices determine your path. And your path ultimately determines your destination. And this is where we see Abraham and Lot diverge. They're going to split paths on the basis of values. Lot is going to make a decision based on what he sees with his eyes. You know, Jesus in Matthew 6, he says there, Do not store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's asking the question, what do you really value? What are your values? Do you value earthly and material things? Or, do, or what you value is really the spiritual and eternal things? And then Jesus goes on to say that your eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of life. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great the darkness. He says your eye is going to lead you. Your eye is what you value. Your eye is what you treasure. And your values drive decisions, and decisions drive paths, and paths determine destinations. And Jesus says, the worst thing that could happen to you in the world is to have bad eyes. The worst thing that could happen to you is is to get off track with your values. The most important issue is what do you truly value? What happened to Lot? Lot had bad eyes. He had bad values. He went for the attractive stuff. He went for success. And and surely if he goes after success and, and money and stuff, surely that will make him happy. Surely if he looks out for number one and just accumulates a bunch of stuff, it's all gonna go well for him. Because that's the way it works, right? I mean, we've all seen the commercials. If you just have a little more stuff, then you'll be happy. Well, what happened to Lot? He's off base with his values. And he's off just a little right here, but there's a progression. You see him lifting up his eyes and seeing the stuff that he wants. And then in verse 12, you know what he does? He moved his tents as far as Sodom. So now he's living near Sodom. In chapter 14, verse 12, now he's living in Sodom. And remember, right here in chapter 13, what does it tell us? 
It tells us that the people of Sodom were wicked exceedingly. Why does scripture tell us that? To let us know Lot knew where he was moving. It's not like he woke up one day and said, boy, these people are wicked. No, he knew where he was going. And he starts out by looking. Then Then he lives near. Then he's living in. And when you get to chapter 19, which by the way is 25 years later, this is a slow progression In chapter 19, when the angels come to get him, where is Lot? He's sitting in the gate. Well, what's the place of the gate? That's the place of leadership. Now he's not just living in, he's become one of them. And you read the rest of chapter 19, it's not a pretty story. In fact, you get to the end of his life, and he loses a son, he loses a wife to judgment, And the final story of this man's life is drunkenness with incest. But do you see the progression? He looked at Sodom. He lived near Sodom. He lived in Sodom. And finally, that pagan world got into him. You see, oftentimes when we think about Lot, we think of chapter 19 and his life being broken and an ugly, nasty mess. But what we fail to realize, that didn't happen overnight. It was a result of all the way back here in chapter 13, making a bad decision because he had bad eyes and he had bad values. And when he got off track with his values... It sent him down a different path with a different destination. This world, if that's what you value, it has a really strong pull. And it sucks us in. I just see this happening with Lot. He's just a little off right here. But then he goes and gets near and thinks, well, I don't like living in the suburbs. It'd be easier if I just lived in the city. And then he moves in and just keeps sucking him in. When I, when I read this and I was saying this, I couldn't help but think of one of my favorite movies, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. Every great movie can be used as a biblical illustration. But in It's a Wonderful Life, there's a moment When George Bailey, he's lived a life of faithfulness. He's been faithful to his dad, and then he was faithful to his brother. He's been faithful to his wife and his family, and it looks like he's just losing. Everybody else is getting all the stuff, and here he is in faithfulness. It doesn't look like it's going real well. But old Henry F. Potter can't get a hold of George Bailey. See, he's cut from a different cloth. And you remember, there comes a point When Potter realizes if I can't beat him, let's see if I can drag him over to my team. Now, Potter is the personification of evil and the world and Satan. And he calls George Bailey in. He gives him one of them cigars, you know. And he says, hey, George, you you wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in Bedford Falls. You wouldn't mind driving the nicest car, making a big salary taking a European trip every now and then. And George, boy, he's just kind of getting sucked in. He's like, yeah, that sounds nice. And he pauses and he looks at Potter. He says, you don't mind if I go home and and just, I know I should just jump at the chance, but I, I ought to go home and talk it over with my wife. And Potter thinks I got him. And he says, sure. 
You go home, talk it over with the wife. You come back, I'll, I'll drop the paperwork. We'll sit down tomorrow. We'll sign the deal. And George stands up from the chair and he reaches out his hand. And he grabs hold of Potter's hand and immediately he recoils. You see, in that moment, George knew. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having the nicest house or nice salary, driving the nicest car. But he knows if he's going to really get it, he has to align himself with evil. He knows in this situation, in order to get it, i got to align myself with the personification of evil. And he recoils. You remember he pulls his hand back and he says, No! Doggone it, and he's mad at himself. Why? Because he knew he was getting sucked in by the world. And you remember, he looks at Potter, and he says to him, you sit here, and you spin your little web. You think the world revolves around you. Well, in the grand scheme of things, you're nothing but a scurvy little spider. And boy, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that way. The world starts sucking you in. And sooner or later, we'll all come to those crossroads in order to get it. You got to decide if I'm going to take some, cut some corners and do this a little bit there. And prayerfully, the Spirit of God awakens us and we recoil and say, Doggone it, I hate it when the world does that. And we look at Satan and say, You're nothing but a scurvy spider. Because I will not divert from faithfulness, even if it costs me my life. Listen, be, be clear here this morning. The issue is not stuff. It's not money. Abraham had stuff. We're going to see Abraham's going to become immensely wealthy. But if you study Abraham's life, it's not stuff that's driving him. See, Abraham's been caught up in the glory of God. Abraham has had a personal experience with God. He's seen the glory of God. And when you've had a personal experience with God, and you've known him on the basis of faith and the righteousness of God has been imputed to your account, when you know God, you're caught up in the glory of God, all the stuff of this world seems small and insignificant, and it no longer drives your life. But if you have no personal experience with God and you've never been overwhelmed by his grace and caught up in his glory, then you're going to have to find meaning and value in something. And what does Lot find meaning? He finds it in his world. He finds his meaning in stuff. And the world became so attractive to him and it pulled him in and it drug him down. And it destroyed his life. Second Peter 2.7. Again, it says, if he rescued righteous lost lot. And then it was it say, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul, what? It says, tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Two words there that are important. Well, three. Number one, he's righteous. But the two other, it says he was oppressed. It means beat down in the dirt. And it says he was tormented. That is a word that is often associated with hell. 
In other words, the world sucked him in. And even though he was right, even though he knew God, the world sucked him in. And it beat him down till his life became a living hell on earth. Again, this is not about being wealthy. It's not about what you possess. It's about who possesses you. It's about what is driving your life. It's about what you value. It's about whether or not your eyes are clear and you see the stuff of this world for what it truly is, and that's just stuff. And you're caught up in the glory of God to the extent that that is driving every decision you make. Faithfulness to God. Some of you this morning, you need to lay your life down. You've gotten off track and you know it. This world's become really big to you. And you've been looking with your eyes and it is sucking you in and it is driving you down paths that are not good. And you need to lay down your life today like Abraham and say, God, I'm tired of grasping after blessings. And today I'm just going to grab hold of you knowing that you can meet my needs and protect my interests and fulfill my wants better than I ever could. In fact, you look at Abraham's life, it's just a series of altars. One altar after another. Sometimes great success, but he builds an altar. Sometimes great failure, but he builds an altar. Again, the mark of Abraham's life was not perfection. It was that this guy never got far from God. Some of you need to build an altar to God today and fully consecrate yourself to him. Still others of you, you're... You're listening this morning and you're thinking, what in the world would cause you to give up everything you have to lay it all down in pursuit of the person of Jesus? Well, if that's the thought in your head today, then I would submit to you that you don't understand who you are and you don't really understand who Christ is. See, when you understand that you're a sinner and the wages of sin is death, when you understand that all that you deserve is death and hell and eternity separated from God forever in hell, when you understand that's what you deserve and then you begin to understand that Christ came for you because you're made in the image of God and you're infinitely valuable to the heart of God so he sent his son, his one and only son, to die on a cross for your sins so that today, apart from no act of your own except believing in Jesus, you could have your sins forgiven. The Holy Spirit of God placed inside your heart and set down a new path where he promises to never leave you or forsake you. And no matter what happens in this world, you will spend eternity with him forever in heaven. When you understand that Christ did all that for you, he becomes the greatest treasure you could ever know. And as Paul said, you begin to count all things as rubbish in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And maybe you need to lay everything down today and trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning for the example of Abraham. 
This man who was not perfect, but his life was a series of altars. Because his greatest treasure was found in you. God, I pray if there's anybody here today, they've gotten off track. God, I pray that they would lay it all down again today and they would consecrate themselves unto you fully and completely. A life of faith, unreserved and total commitment to obeying the word of God. And when we fall down, and we will, we will get right back up and we'll build another altar. We will not let go of you, God. You're our only hope. You're our greatest joy. You're our greatest treasure. And we're grateful that through faith in Christ, we can't lose you. This world and Satan cannot rob us of that which you promised to us. So I pray today we'd stop grasping after blessings and we just grab hold of you. God, I pray for those who do not know you. They've never given their life over to you. Maybe they've been living off somebody else's faith, living off mama's faith, but there's no personal experience of God in their life. They've not personally trusted in you. God, I pray today would be the day of salvation. They'd lay it all down. They'd deny themselves today, take up their cross, meaning they'd die to themselves today, and they'd follow you. They'd find life, true life, and trusting in you. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.